Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you here today. Buckle up because we're about to get started on another series. And what we're going to be talking about now is depression. And what we're going to start off with is just talking generally about what depression is, knowing the signs and symptoms of depression. Then we are going to talk a little bit more about how depression affects you in your life. And then we're going to talk more about how we can treat and how we can recover from depression. Now, before we get started, if you haven't already, please go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. It would help out our show and help us grow and get these podcasts out to people who need it. So as we start off today's series... We want to make sure that we start off talking about what depression is. And I would venture to say that everyone is familiar with depression, whether it be knowing someone who's had depression, seeing it in the movies, or even personally experiencing it yourself. And because depression is so widely known, people have such different views on what it is. So we just want to start off today's podcast with looking at the actual criteria of what major depressive disorder is. I think an important thing to note when you're thinking about depression is that it's not always the type of depression that you can't get out of bed with, but it's also just this malaise or you can get up and do things, but you're just not enjoying life as much. And so we're going to start off with the stereotypical idea of what depression is, and then we're going to delineate and move a little further away from that and explain these other types of depression. So when we look at diagnosing, we look at the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is also known as the DSM. And in the DSM-5, which is the latest edition, it outlines the following criteria to make a diagnosis of depression. The individual must be experiencing five or more symptoms during the same two-week period, and at least one of the symptoms should either be depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. So basically, it's saying that within a two-week period, at least five of these need to be present, and one of them has to be either depressed mood or loss of pleasure or interest. So the symptoms are depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. And remember, this is within that two-week period. Markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. And this can be things that you used to enjoy that you no longer enjoy, or thinking about things you haven't done, but then discounting it because you believe I won't probably enjoy it anyways. Significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain, or a decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day. I think an interesting thing is it can be either or. I think in some ways you can be so depressed that you just don't even notice the body cues of being hungry, so then you don't eat. Or on the other side of the spectrum, you can use eating as a coping tool in order to help you feel better, so that kind of comfort eating. So that's why you can have two opposite symptoms under the same diagnosis. The next one is a slowing down of thought and a reduction of physical movement. And this is observable by others, not merely subjective feelings of restlessness or being slowed down. So a way to help conceptualize this is it basically feels like your mind and your body, you're just slogging through a swamp, and it's just more difficult than normal. Then fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt nearly every day. And so a lot of times when this is happening, people get what I like to call swirling thoughts, meaning these thoughts are just kind of 
hovering around them or almost like a cloud over them. You may think through it and then kind of move on, but then your brain still brings you back to those negative feelings of worthlessness or guilt. A diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. So this can look a lot like brain fog, just slower processing, where you feel like it's hard to function, it's hard to think through things, it's hard to get your point across, and not having the clarity or even the motivation to make decisions. And then there's recurrent thoughts of death, recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan, or a suicide attempt, or a specific plan for committing suicide. So that's a big range that they give there, right? It could be recurrent thoughts of death. You can have suicidal thoughts with or without a plan. Or you could have a suicide attempt. Now, one of the things I think is important to note about the thoughts of recurrent death is that you definitely want to reach out. You don't want to struggle through this kind of on your own. And I think a lot of times people have this idea of, well, if I tell people that I'm thinking about harming myself or I have these thoughts of dying, that you're going to be labeled as a crazy person or that you're going to be institutionalized. And one of the things about this type of situation is that you could choose to go get assistance in a voluntary manner, or if they determine you are highly likely to be a harm to yourself, they might put you in involuntarily. But the vast majority of people who get put in involuntarily, it's three days. There might be a time where it's up to seven days, but that's a fairly rare occurrence where you need a judge approval to keep you in that long. And so a lot of times people get very nervous to reach out for help because they're afraid of what the consequences are, but there's not really any major consequences that you should be fearful of. At the most, we're talking maybe a week you might be in an institution, but again, most of the time, up to three days is normally the max at what most people are looking at. And so if you're fearful of that, again, remember, you're going to go in, you're not just staying there, they're going to give you some additional help to get you out of the deep throes of despair that you're in, to help you get to a place where those negative feelings are more manageable. And the last thing we want you to do is to try to take on these overwhelming emotions by yourself. There's help out there. Please reach out and get help, especially if you're having suicidal thoughts. Ideally, we want you to reach out before you even get to the place where you're having thoughts of suicide. And it doesn't mean because you share with someone that you're going to end up in the hospital. I know Tim was talking a lot about the days and the times that you'll be there, but we want you to be able to reach out for help and to tell a family member or to tell a trusted friend or some other support system. Or you can always call 988, which is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in America. And if you're outside of the country listening, definitely look up the resources in your area. And then even with suicidal ideation, there's a range there as well. There can be passive suicidal ideation, the desire to die, but without a plan. And it can come in a lot of different forms where it's more, I wish I was never born. I hope that someone would just hit my car. They'd all be better off without me. And that can range all the way up to active suicidal thoughts. And going back to what I was saying earlier about the hospitalization, being involuntarily hospitalized only happens if you have an active and imminent plan to harm yourself. So if just like you were saying, Ruth, you have more of those passive thoughts where you're just thinking about death or thinking about dying, but you don't have any active plans that you have laid out to harm yourself, you're not going to be involuntarily hospitalized. So out of those eight symptoms, the individual must be experiencing at least five of those. And another big piece to the diagnosis and the criteria is that these symptoms must cause the individual's clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. 
and the symptoms must also not be a result of substance abuse or other medical condition. So something that I think is also important to be aware of is that depression is not always a psychological symptom. Sometimes it's a symptom of another medical type of condition. One of those things that can bring about depressive-type symptoms are chronic illness. These types of chronic illness include heart disease, cancer, diabetes, Parkinson's disease, or rheumatoid arthritis. Now, having chronic illness can cause you to have psychological depression, but having these chronic illnesses can just cause the depressive symptoms on their own. Another thing is hormonal imbalances. And so if you're going through some type of hormone change due to thyroid disorder, menopause, or other similar hormonal conditions, it may also cause you to have depressive symptoms. Another thing is substance use. So if you're regularly using drugs or alcohol, it can actually increase the symptoms of depression, or it can cause you to have depressive symptoms all on their own. So examples of how substance use can enhance our depressive symptoms are they tend to go along with health problems and relational difficulties. So just earlier, we talked about chronic medical problems. If you're regularly using a substance, it could cause you to then have those chronic medical issues or also can cause you to have relational difficulties, and that can add to feelings or senses of depression. Also, I think another problem that people have is that when they're regularly using substances, they're oftentimes using those to avoid feelings. And the more you avoid your feelings, the more they build up, and then that can cause you to develop depression from running away from your feelings for too long. Also, if you're taking some type of medication, those can also cause you to have depressive symptoms. So make sure that you speak with your doctor if you're on medications and see if any of those have side effects of depression. You could also have nutritional deficits. Certain lack of nutrients like vitamin B, in particular vitamin B12 folate or omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin D, can contribute to depressive symptoms. Another big one, and I think this one can go under the radar a lot of times, poor sleep can also cause you to have feelings or symptoms of depression. And so one of the things is that you want to make sure, if you're trying to figure out if you're depressed or not, is that there are other things that can cause you to be feeling depressed as well. And so you want to make sure that you rule out any type of medical condition, any medicine you might be taking. You want to make sure you're trying to get as much sleep as you can and make sure that you're taking care of all your nutritional deficits in order to make sure that, okay, this is actually clinical psychological depression that I'm struggling with. Now, you don't have to do that all first, but it is something definitely to consider when you're thinking about if I have depression or if somebody else in my family might have depression. So we're going to stop there today on the first part of the series on depression. And we just want to make sure that we started off with the foundational information on what major depressive disorder is. And then from there, we're going to continue on in this series and talk about the differential diagnosis, how these symptoms show up in our lives and how it affects our lives in different ways, as well as different treatment options. So tune in to the next part of this series. Have a great day, and remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.